Welcome to this week's podcast from Planet Shakers in Melbourne, Australia. For more details, check out planetshakers.com. We hope you enjoy this message. I was away in the mountains. My favourite thing as a Christian is not preaching. I love to preach. It's my favourite thing is just going away with God for weeks at a time. And it's uh, been something I've done for years. And uh, in the last six weeks, I've had a couple of trips away. I had six or seven days up in the mountains a while back. And then just a few weeks ago, three weeks ago, I was out there for 12 days just seeking God. So I spent all day praying in the Holy Ghost, asking God to guide, asking God to open stuff up, asking Him to open my mind and spirit and, and just hungering. And I prayed much for the church. I was praying much about the church and I was praying about finance. And the Lord began to speak to me because I've done a couple of offering teachings on tithing and some of the great tithers. I'm going to touch it again tonight and just open it up a little further. But the Lord began to speak to me and said, Tim, I want to do something in your finances unlike anything you've ever seen. I want to bring about a revolution in your finances. I want to make a covenant with you in finance to release finance through you like you've never seen if you'll go with me. And he started to give me things and talk to me. And I felt him say, it's not just for you. When you get back, talk to Pastor Russell and say, hey, and I know he's been speaking that way and we've been inspired by the stuff that he shares constantly. But I said, look, I'm with you. And I feel as though God's given me a word just in the area of the covenant of tithing that'll go with all the stuff we've been sharing. And he said, I want you to preach it. And uh, we swapped dates today. He went to the southeast and, and did the work down there with the changeover, which is great. And we congratulate the team down there, Joe and his wife. And I've shared today. And uh, it has been exciting. We've had quite a day. But God began to speak to me and he said, I don't want you to be legalistic about giving. I want it to be an adventure. And I want it to be a covenant. I want to take you into an adventure in giving. Now, I've always enjoyed that. For me, for me, giving has always been part of Christianity and my walk as a Christian that I've just loved. I've loved sowing seed. I've loved giving. I've loved seeing people blessed. And I love putting money into stuff. It's just, uh, I think we all enjoy it. But the Lord began to say to me, it's not a legalistic. You're not, it's not legalism that you're into with your giving. Even with tithing, for the Jews, they tithe. They tithe 10% of everything. If they, if they had 10 new lambs, they would go down one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. They'd pass under a rod. Every 10th one, that's God's. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, that's God's. With everything. They tithe 10%, first fruits. And people question tithing. Well, first fruits right through the scripture. Proverbs is for me. Not just the Jews. Honour the Lord with the substance, with the first fruits of all your increase. So shall your barns be filled with plenty, copious abundance, and your presses shall burst out with new wine. Even the New Testament, given will be given unto you from the same measure that you give, men will pour into your bosom, pressed down, shaken together, running over. And so I read the Jews had a 10% tithe, Then they had another 10% tithe that they gave to God and then God gave it back to them and said, now this second tithe is to allow you to come up to worship me. So you give me the 10%, I'll give it back because I want your worship that much. 
and they would pay for their trip to Jerusalem for the feast of Passover or the feast of, of uh, uh, tabernacles to come and worship God and they'd pay their hotel and they'd have money to live and feast up there and enjoy God. And then the third one was every third year out of seven, uh, the land was shut down for one year, the seventh year. But on the third year, another tenth was taken and given to the poor. And so in their tithing, which was 21.4%, but 10% of it went back to them anyway for worship. God set up a situation where the, the Levites, the priests, the whole priestly system and everything with it was paid for. Secondly, their own worship was paid for and God actually paid them to be worshippers. And then the poor, there were, poverty was reduced because even in the fields, there were laws that said, leave a certain amount for those to come and glean. And we have the story of Ruth and Boaz and so on. And so there was provision for the poor, provision for you to be a worshipper and provision for the spiritual leadership. So it, was, it wasn't just laws and regulations. It was something that God was building into his nation. But see, God is talking to us about a covenant, about a covenant of tithing. I, I love what it says in the book of Malachi. People say, Malachi is for the Jews. I go, well, Malachi 3 verse 6 says, I am God, I change not. People have got the idea that God of the Old Testament is a different God to the God of the New Testament. No, he's not. In him there's no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Jesus was the express image of God, stamped as it were with a signet ring into human flesh. Jesus said, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so God in Malachi says, I'll put a challenge to you. He says, I'm, I change not. Here's the challenge. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse and that there might be meat in my Father's house. In other words, something that can be used to fulfill the purpose and the blessing of God. And he said, see to it that I won't open to you the windows of heaven and pour out on you a blessing that you shall not be able to contain it. It's interesting. It says, I will open the windows of heaven. Now that's not a nice little latticed window, a little lead light window that you creak open nicely and there's a couple of pot plants you move so that a little trickle of water just comes. The term windows of heaven is used twice. The first one is in the book of Genesis when the fountains of the great deep opened up and the windows of heaven opened up with a flood that flooded the earth for 40 days. They're the only two times it's mentioned. The sluice gates of heaven. You see, God says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse and see that I won't open the sluice gates of heaven and give you a 40-day flood that'll flood you. So you need rowing boats and, and rubber duckies and, and flippers. To live in the blessing. God wants to flood you with blessing. And then he says, I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. Now I was talking about people that had entered into a covenant of tithing. I told some stories of some of the great tithing people. And I'm gonna tell you again, because you will have forgotten. Is that okay? The first one was a man called Alexander H. Kerr. How many have heard of Alexander H. Kerr? Give me a wave. I've never shared this before. I have actually. Alexander H. Kerr, as you all know, was born in 1862. He was a young man who grew up in Idaho and uh, he was a salesman, not a particularly good businessman. He had a partnership in a grocery store. He wasn't making headway, but he wanted to have success in business. 
He felt like God wanted to bless him as a Christian. And he said, what do I do? And in 1902, a friend gave him a book, which was called Judah's Scepter and Joseph's Birthright. And he took that book and he read in there from uh, Genesis chapter 28, where after Jacob had had that enormous visitation of God, where he saw as he, had, as he dreamt with his head on the rock and saw the angels ascending and descending, he said, of everything I make, I will give you, Lord, 10%. And if you watch the coming chapters, he went from working for his twisting father-in-law who held everything back to the richest man in the East. Alexander Kerr said, I am going to make a covenant with God. He is my partner. I will covenant. And he started with 10%. He increased that. But he began at 10%. And in 1902, with capital of $100, he bought a glass manufacturing company. And then he began to tithe and increase his tithe. And from 1902 to 1906, it grew until he had a massive factory, huge factory, and was sending out glass jars at a rate that was, his business was exploding. Except in 1906, the great San Francisco earthquake. I wonder if we could have the picture up there, please. Uh, San Francisco earthquake showing people. The earthquake destroyed San Francisco. 75% of the city was destroyed either in crumbled ruins or by fire. The city was desolated, decimated. And Alexander H. Kerr had a factory in the heart of the worst hit industrial area. He had a timber building with a timber fence and inside he had big tanks that were heated to 2000 degrees making glass and the place was filled with glass jars. Not a great place for an earthquake. The fire went through the city and burned everything. He was in Portland, Oregon. They phoned him, contacted him, however, and they said, uh, you will be broke. All your money is wrapped up in your business and the area where you are is completely destroyed. Um, your business is finished. He said, that is not the case. They said, why is that? He said, I know for sure. He said, I made a covenant with God. I made a covenant of tithing with God. He is my partner and he has promised that if I bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, he will open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing. I shall not be able to contain it. And he will rebuke the devourer for my sakes. He said, the devourer has already been rebuked. When they were able to get in there, everything was destroyed except one building, a timber building, a few singe marks on the fence, but the building was untouched. They went inside. When they got inside, they began to check the glass jars, the tanks and everything else in there. And to their amazement, they found that in that massive earthquake that shook that city to ruins, not one glass jar was cracked. One glass jar. He wrote two tracts. One was called God's Cure for Poverty. The other one was God's Loving Rule for Your Prosperity. He put one of these in every case of jars that went out across the nation and beyond. By his death, he had tithed $5 million. In today's money, it's about 100 times that. It's more like $5 billion. 
by his death and who knows what he'd made but by the time he died it was the second biggest glass company in America and he said it is all because I made a covenant with God as a tither and a partner John D Rockefeller standard oil magnate let's have a look here he is an interesting man, everyone knows the Rockefeller situation, Rockefeller Square in New York. He was born in 1838, lived to 1937. Um, a philanthropist, a magnate, oil magnate, Standard Oil. As a boy, he got a job and he bought home from his first pay, $1.50. And he laid it out before his mum. It's a bit of money then for a young boy. And his mother said, John, I hope you're going to give God his 10%. And he said, yes, I will. And he gave his first tithe. His tithes greatly increased over the years and multiplied. But he said, had I not tithed that first dollar, I may not have tithed my first million. He lived a life of tithing and believing. And at the end of his life, his estate when he died in 1937 was $760 billion. In today's money, 12 times that of Bill Gates. And he said... It was built on a covenant of tithing. Billy Colgate, William Colgate, had gone broke as a young man. He was not a great businessman. He was selling soap and working for companies and he wasn't doing brilliantly, but he decided to talk to some of his friends and he said, I want to be a successful businessman. How should I start? And they said, well, read this. And they shared with him principles of first fruits and tithing, particularly Genesis 28, how Jacob said, of everything I make, he called that place where he had that visitation, the house of God. And he said, from now on, everything I ever get, I'm going to give 10%. William Colgate talked to this friend and he said, I am going to make a covenant. I'm going to make a covenant with God. He said, okay, I will be a tither. He started at 10, but very shortly, the blessing was so great, he went to 20. Now the blessing began to flow in and Colgate products began to sell. And so he increased it to 30%. And then he still couldn't outgive God, so he raised it to 40%. And I believe he went on from there. But he said, the more he gave to God, the more he earned. And his business was built on a covenant relationship where he made God his partner. I remember Dr. Yongi Cho stated that the greatest part of his success in building the largest church of the world was when he stepped out of the chair of leadership of the church and said, Holy Spirit, oh, you can take the chair of the president. And there was a chair that was God's chair. And he said, I will work for you. I'll work for you. Jimmy Kraft, James L. Kraft, Kraft Foods. How many have heard of Kraft Foods? He was, a cheese, he was working for a cheese company in Buffalo, New York, and he wasn't very good, and he got sacked. So he bought a horse called Paddy. You all know this story. How many have heard this? Horse called Paddy and a cart, and he was going around selling cheese, but he was not successful. He was totally unsuccessful, and he was having a very bad day. The cheese was not selling. Paddy was upset, they were both upset. And he stopped and he got out there and he had a good talk to his horse. 
And as he was talking, he had a revelation that he needed a partner. He said, I need a partner. And he thought, why don't I make God my partner? And he knelt down and he said, Lord, I don't know what to do because I've proved to be totally unsuccessful, but I will be your partner in business and I'll make a deal with you right now that from the first day I will give you 25%. Well, he went on increasing and increasing it until he was unable to cope with the amount of income until craft products swept the earth. Henry Crowell. Henry Crowell was an interesting character. I could also talk, I haven't got an information on him right in front of me, but Henry John Hines was an interesting character. He was a tither. Hines, this is Crowell. But Henry Hines, he was a tither from a little boy and by nine years of age, he had three blocks, three half acre blocks and was bottling his own tomato sauce by nine. Building a business on tithing. A devout tither. Today, Heinz are worth 10 billion. Started with a young boy growing tomatoes and tithing. Henry Crowell, extraordinary businessman. Wasn't much good. He hadn't done that well, but he made a deal with God. And in his deal with God, he started tithing 20%. And then he began to increase it to 30 He had a tornadoes go through his area of his farm and they went right up his fence line, took all the farms around and his wasn't touched. He began to give up to 40% of his income and as he did, creative ideas just flowed. He had a cereal company. You've all heard of Quaker Oats. Oh, Quaker Oats. And he had creative ideas coming left, right and centre. They were flowing. He was using celebrities to advertise the great baseballers advertising his cereal products and he had ideas to put stuff in the boxes and prizes and on the lid if you send in all that started with him and they're all creative ideas that came as he tithed well by the end of his life they asked him what his fortune was due to and he said it was due to my partnership with God God is looking to build a partnership with you in the area of finance because he wants to bless you, whether you're in ministry or whatever you're doing, God wants to bless you out of your mind. R.G. Letourneau, let's have a look at good old R.G. He's a happy man. R.G. Letourneau, famous for a book called Mover of Men and Mountains. Uh, A man who was an incredible tither. He made a deal with God. He said, some people think that I'm all mixed up, that you can't serve the Lord in business too, but that's just the point. God needs businessmen as his partners. He made God the chief and he became a partner and he started tithing heavily and he he had an inventive skill, but God started to breathe on it. As he started to sow to God, God started to breathe on his creativity. And it's out of creation. See, the Bible says, when we have uh, moved into goodly homes and all of our goods in the book of uh, Deuteronomy 8, all of our goods, our gold, our silver, our herds have multiplied and everything we have is multiplied. 
Not just increase, multiply it. He said, don't forget me and say in your heart, I got this by my own power. But remember, it is God who gives you the power to make wealth. I have people say God is not into, into, into prosperity. God gives the power to make wealth. God wants us to be prosperous. If we're prosperous, the kingdom advances. If we're prosperous, our churches grow. If we're prosperous, we go on television to the hurting. If we're prosperous, we feed the poor. How can we bless the world if we're not prosperous? Bible says money answers everything. How, many, how much, what could we do tomorrow? If, if Pastor Russell got a check for five billion, he'd spend it in two weeks. We'd have the, well, we'd have, we'd have things, nations open. We'd have churches, we'd have, we'd have stuff in nations, we'd have television, we'd have maybe, maybe more than a week. TV stations, we'd buy the MCG for conference, run church there Sunday. How does a church become incredibly blessed when we as individuals take hold of a covenant with God and say, God, I'm not gonna stay at this level. I am going into a place where I'm blessed out of my brain. In 1920, he had a tractor, a John Deere, I believe. One tractor, but God was just pouring ideas on him. And he started to invent land scraping scrapers and, and tractors with scrapers on the front and all sorts of earth moving stuff. And he just started to get ideas. How can I increase that? How? And he was really the inventor who was changing the world with earth moving. All of a sudden, his whole concept was to move mountains and his tithe went up 20%, 30%, 40% by World War II. With the Americans involved in 41 after... Well, 42, because Pearl Harbor was December 7, 1941, 42. He basically supplied all the earth-moving equipment for the American forces in World War II. His machines built the great system across America of freeways. He was the biggest manufacturer of earth-moving equipment in the world. And by the end of his life, he was, he was tithing 90% of his personal income. God's putting a challenge to people. In business, shake off all the negativity, make a partnership with God and watch your business explode. I've been talking to people here that are, they've got small businesses and ideas and concepts that are God-breathed. I'll tell you now, there are people sitting in the church that you don't even know about. Three years from now, they will have multi-million dollar companies. And they've got the seeds of it now. They've got the seeds of it. Talk to people. And I said, wow, I did not know you were such a genius. And as soon as they cut loose with this thing, it'll be millions. Let me move quickly. He said this. He said, some, I told you that. He said, my business, basically, everything happened because God and I made a covenant, a business covenant. What can God do with your skills, Paul? 
How far can he take some of the ideas you've got, Pastor Gilwolf? Pastor Zoran, books, stuff, fishing skills. Maybe God's going to get an idea for a new fishing rod that you'll have to try out often. What can he do? Over the years, as an evangelist, I have had to make a lot of money. We've done crusades. I've done 40 crusades in New Guinea, Papua New Guinea. I've had the National Stadium seven times. Every time, some of those crusades, one of them alone cost me $86,000. We've probably seen 400,000 saved up there, but we've three or 400 probably saved up there. And we've traveled the world and we've had crusades that have cost anything, anything from 10,000 to $50,000. Myanmar was expensive in December. But we've had to make money. I've had to make money. Pro Hart, the artist, probably financed enough for me to cover probably close to a million souls. We've, we've pumped some. We've, I've sold 3,000 paintings since 88, a little bit over. And 95% of those, the money's gone into crusades. Fortune into crusades. I believe that's seed sown and in the future... God's going to bring some money back and I reckon Jack and I a bit might stick. But we used to have to come up with ideas. And I needed money for the subcontinent. We wanted to do some big ones. I was going through India, done a lot of crusades through India and Pakistan. Been to Pakistan. We've had uh, crowds of 25,000, 30,000 or more next to a mosque in Karachi, Pakistan. Had a line one night of people that were crippled, that were healed, that ran from here to the back of the room little kids that couldn't walk, every miracle you could imagine, but you've got to pay for them. You've got to pay for the crusades. And uh, I remember I needed money. And I said, Father, you and I are in partnership. I'm working for you. I need creative ideas. And I was at the cricket. And God loves cricket. I know he does. Because I've made a lot of money out of cricket. Trust me. Memorabilia, paintings, a lot of money. Financed a lot of crusades out of cricket. I was at the cricket and God spoke to me. And he said, get Pro Hart, your friend, to do a painting of the Adelaide Oval for the centenary of cricket. I went, yes, indeed. And I felt the Lord say, I'll get Bradman to sign it. I had a couple of contacts to get me there. I rang Pro. I, in fact, I went up and saw him. I said, Pro, I got an idea. Here's some photos. Would you do a painting of the Adelaide Oval? And we'll work on getting Bradman to sign them. And he said, oh, this is exciting, mate. That's exciting, mate. We'll get right onto that. And he rang me. He said, I'm so excited. I've painted two big ones. Sold them both, made a lot of money. A lot of money with those two paintings. But I, we produced the print. I went and saw Sir Donald Bradman, sat with him. And Sir Donald looked at me with eyes that go right through you. He used to. And he said, son, what will this be for? I said, Sir Donald, it'll be for Christian work around the world. And then I said, but Sir Donald, I feel that uh, I would want to give you 20% to your favorite charity, the Crippled Children's. 15, 20%, whatever it was. He said, I will sign 300 prints. He signed 300 prints. I sat with him while he was signing, talked about cricket with him. And as a cricket lover, it was heaven. Then we went to Channel 9. And how we got in, I don't know. Neil Hawke and myself, we talked. And Ian Chappell said, okay, son, we'll promote this for you on TV. And on the cricket, he got up and for no charge advertised our print 
the centenary of cricket, selling at $400 each, phone this number, and the phone began to ring from eight o'clock in the morning till nine at night. Every phone call was $400. In six weeks, we sold the originals and we'd made close to $100,000. And we financed Crusades. One idea. I was over with uh, my friend, Pastor Rodney Howard Brown in America. And he showed me his property. I preached and I went down onto this new property he wanted to buy. It was a car um, dealership. It was fantastic. Big pine. Have you been there, Pastor Russ? Great. You preached there. Beautiful setup. And it's, it's like driving into something. It's real Florida. Big palm trees. And it's, it's spectacular. And I said, God, I want to put some money into this. I don't want to put a little bit in. I want to put a big chunk of cash in this. And I knew I didn't have a big chunk of cash. But I said, Father, I want to put money. And I was up in uh, New York at uh, the big thing he did in Madison Square Gardens. I did have a chance to speak for 20 minutes in Madison Square Gardens. And I'm not a name dropper, but it is a very good thing to speak in Madison Square. Anyway, uh, I don't boast about it, but gee, it was good. Um, We're in the pain. And I had a vision. I had a vision. Put the picture up. Where's the picture? Where's the picture? Where's the brothers? I had a picture. That's what I saw. The river of God, the city of God, the river flowing out from under the throne and from the Lamb and everywhere it was going, it was taking life and and there was healing in the river and everywhere it went, it brought life and blessing in the trees and the the whole thing. And so I saw that and I went home and I said, God, I really want to make some money for Rodney. And he said, what have you got in your hand? I said, a paintbrush. He said, what do you got in your heart? I said, I got a picture you gave me. He said, get it on canvas. So I worked away over a few days and painted that. It's about four, probably five foot by four. It's a big painting. Painted it. And uh, I, said, I contacted Rodney. I said, Rodney, I'm sending the artwork. The original's coming over. And we rolled that up, sent it to him. And I said, here's the photographic artwork for it. Sent that. And I gave it a, few, a month or so in advance, six weeks. I said, this is the size stock for the print. And leave a space down here, put a gold line. Uh, the river of God, space for numbers, one of whatever, and a space for signature. I'll come and sign them. Flew in to his conference, jet lagged out of my brain, set up a table at the back. And uh, he went around and he showed the painting. They wore it beautifully framed. They took it around. People were, oh, it's lovely. Oh. And it's good when you hear that because you know you'll sell prints. We sold the prints at $200 each. Opened up after the meeting and they hit that place like a, like a charging bunch of rhino. And, and we were selling them as fast as we could. I could not sign fast enough and number them. I was there signing them and numbering them. And people were falling out under the power of God and, and wrecking their prints. And uh, uh, people couldn't stay there at this seat. It just, and in 36 hours, we'd sold just under 40,000 US dollars worth. And at that point, the Australian dollar was two Australian dollars to one US. And I worked out that in less than two days, we'd been able to sow $80,000 into their church, uh, into their work. And then you feel you have ownership. You feel you're part of that thing. You feel you're actually, you're sowing into a thing gives you ownership. And you know, I feel God has breathed into me and Jackie and I have got an incredible urge to pump money as much as for crusades, 
I've got as big a passion right now to pump money in here into what we're doing. And while I've been away, God's just got a hold of us. Today, I said to Pastor Russ, I'll take an offering at the end. And he said, oh, I said, no, it'll be right. He didn't want to, he didn't want to bash you with finance, but, and we're not doing that. Not at all. You're incredible givers. And I wanted to tell you today that on behalf of Pastor Russell that your giving is incredible. But we're going to move here into a place where every person in this building is going to get blessed out of their brain. Every business is going to be blessed if you dare to work hard and do it. I feel the presence of God. You know, the first murder in the Bible occurred over an offering. I'm always cautious. I've been in meetings where you felt you may not make it to the door. That's not really true. But you know, there's something. God's got a heart to stretch His kingdom. And when we partner with Him and we look beyond, hey, the church wants money to a place where God, we want our whole passion. We are hilarious givers. God loves hilarious givers. That word, cheerful giver, is the word hilaros. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Hilaros, from which we get hilarity. God loves hilarious givers. And let's give tonight. Let's give. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We pray that you were truly blessed by what you heard. For more details, check out planetshakers.com.